0: What's so funny? Why, Friday Follies, of course, right here on the Mutual Audio Network. (laughs) The following audio drama is rated restricted for anyone listening under the age of 17. Frequent or prolonged examples of adult situations, violence, or coarse language may apply. Ooh, this should be good. We take you now to the White House for the traditional pardoning of the Thanksgiving turkey. My fellow Americans, in keeping with the tradition, in an act of mercy by the President of the United States of America, I've decided that this Thanksgiving I am going to pardon not one but two turkeys from the dinner table, from the fate that has been arranged for them as a meal, and that these two turkeys here, Marshmallow and Yam, are not going to be served for dinner here, but in fact are going to spend the rest of their lives in Disneyland living out their life as an act, as a symbol of the President of the United States of America and his mercy. And I would like to say that I am also going to clear them of any future ethical or financial wrongdoings. Uh, Mr. President? Mr. President, um, th- those, those are turkeys, are they? Well, yes, of course they are. Well, they're awfully big, aren't they? I mean, you know, they, they're huge. They've, they've got to be at least six feet tall each. Well, it just goes to show you how uh, enterprising the American farmer can be. Poultry farmers out here fighting Asian flu and uh, all that, that kind of stuff. And, and uh, these, uh, these turkeys are... Uh, Clearly, just uh, very, very healthy, uh, uh, well-fed. Yeah, Mr. Uh, President, th- those two look suspiciously like Bill Frist and Tom DeLay in turkey costumes. Uh, that'd be absolutely silly. Don't be ridiculous. Uh, you <laughs> know, I'm feeling so generous, ladies and gentlemen. I think I'm going to pardon a few more turkeys here. Uh, uh-huh. Bring them up, boys. Uh, here's uh, Turkey uh, Turdberry. Here's, he's pardoned. And, uh, oh, come on. And this one here, Scooter. Yeah, we're pardoning him for hey. any future ethical violations and anything that the ethics panel might discover. Mr. Uh, Mr. Got President. Have more turkeys over there that we could uh, clear? Come on, just bring them over here. It just uh, I'm feeling really, really generous with uh, things. There's miss- a lot to be thankful for you. You know, oh, for God's America. sake. Oh, look, here's uh, Turkey Abramoff, uh Barry, and he's pardoned. Uh, and uh, who else have we got over there? Just bring them, line them up here, boys. Just bring them on up here. i got a whole bunch of Turkey pardons, boy. Disney November 24th, 2005, really Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving uh, uh, Cheney, Day. You're experiencing technical Cheney, uh, difficulties. Uh, Please uh, who, stand by. Uh, just bring them on up here. I've been passing out some uh, contracts too long. I'm at it. <laughs> Dobble, <laughs> gobble, gobble. I am the worst impressionist on earth. And happy Thanksgiving to you all. Yes, I wasn't sure I was going to be posting on Thanksgiving, but it was on my schedule, so what choice do I have? And I, for one, am thankful for the gift of cynicism. Although, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I didn't wasn't actually given the gift of cynicism, I've sort of developed it over the years. But I guess being able to develop a gift like that is, is sort of a... that's a talent you're born with, I suppose. Anyways, this is Thanksgiving 2005, uh, and again, if you've got anything to be thankful for, today's the day. I'm thankful for a lot of things. I'm thankful for the uh, lives of our troops over in Iraq who could uh, use a good support there, because again, raw deal, that's what I say, raw deal. So think of those guys when you're thinking about your food, and uh, you know, if you can do anything for homeless people or a local shelter or anything like that, please, for God's sake do, or for their sake do, God doesn't need your money. He's God. He's got everything he needs. Well, I've got the usual burble of stuff this week. Although it's going to be might be a little bit of a short show. Who knows? We'll see. Anyway, I'm getting it underway right now, and uh, I'll be back at the end to fill you in on cool news. So see you after this. This week's episode of Technical Difficulties is brought to you by Plotzman's Hard Cured Turkeys. This year, why not treat your family to the finest hard cured turkey on the market? Plotsman's a very versatile bird, why not try baking it, or deep frying it, or even pan frying it? You can try anything you want, you won't put a dent in that sucker. Yes, this is one hard cured bird that could stop a shotgun blast at short range. Properly carved, two of our birds can be worn by any SWAT team in place of Kevlar armor. That's Plotzman's Hard Cured Turkeys. Just remember what our founder, Dennis Plotzman, always says, It takes a tough man to make a tougher turkey, but an even tougher man to eat one like this. Ah, Jesus, my teeth! See what I mean? comes to you from off the beaten path. This is Lost Tracks with your host, Lake Hammond. Hello and welcome back once again to Lost Tracks. I'm Lake Hammond. With me in the studio today is uh, the up-and-coming star on the hip-hop scene. Uh, what would you call yourself? Would you say you were an up-and-coming star? Um, No, no I wouldn't. Alrighty, if in the uh, studio with me today is Breon Ellison, uh, aka MC E. Or. Hello, how you doing? Now you have kind of a unique take on the whole hip hop scene, don't you? You you come in from a sort of a little bit, little bit of a niche market, don't you? Yeah, I guess you could say so, Lake. I'm I'm the world's only. Um severely clinically depressed rapper. Now, you uh, first came onto the scene about a year ago when you were in an am- amateur uh, hip-hop contest sponsored by Vibe magazine, and you took an award, I believe? Well, my doctor had me starting to write, you know, raps just to deal with my therapy. So I uh, tried out at the competition about a year ago, and well, I didn't so much win an award, they they gave me an honorable... Honorable mention? Well, it wasn't even an honorable mention. They just... They wrote... Most pathetic MC on a paper plate and gave it to me. That's um, kind of harsh. I probably just deserved it. Yeah. Anyway, I believe you have a new CD out, isn't that right? Yeah, it just came out last week. Yes, from Deaf Scope Records. It's called uh, MCE or Down in the Mouth. Yeah, that, that's it. Well, it's got to be a point of pride for you that you actually managed to do an entire CD, isn't it? Well, it was initially until I noticed on the back label of the CD. If you look there, it says Def Scope Comedy Records. Does it? Oh, look. Yeah, there it, does. There it is. Yeah, yeah. They, they think I'm hilarious. So, um, um, how uh, how long did it take to make this record? Almost two and a half years. It probably would have been shorter except for the suicide attempts. Really? You, you tried to kill yourself while making the record? Yeah. Uh, well, sort of. They weren't really active suicide attempts I just sort of stand in there in the studio and (laughs) hope I would die yeah anyway we're gonna play the title track off your CD right now this is MC Eeyore and uh, the title track from the CD Down Into Mouth yo could you turn my mic up my mic could you turn it up hey where you going hey don't leave me all alone in the studio Never mind. I'll do it myself. Did you ever have the courage to fight? Well, I don't. Did you ever see a name in the lights? Not me. Well, Uh -uh. it's a damn shame. Got nobody to blame. Got no game. And even soccer MC's always telling me that I blame. Everybody's declarier when your rhymes are inferior. Even Nilla Ice could probably own my posterior. Uh -uh. My homies and prospects always heading south. That's why I wake up every morning feeling down in the mouth. Yeah. Yo. Damn. (sighs) I'm the saddest of the soccer MC's. Down in the mouth. Damn. I'm the saddest of the sucker MCs. Down in the mouth. You're not going to play the whole song. No, I think we've established that you're pretty much a pathetic moron. So, um, why don't you just leave now? Okay. We'll be right back after this. And now, technical difficulties proudly presents Thanksgiving Story Special. Now that's an introduction. Remember that. Back on Halloween, for in honor of the holiday of Halloween, I read a little short story called Zredni Vashtar by Saki. Well, I decided for this Thanksgiving I'd spare myself a little work and give you all a little treat by reading another short story by another great author. Um, in the public domain, of course, because I really enjoy not talking to lawyers. But in any event, this will be a fun story, and I think you'll really enjoy it. And this is my holiday gift to you, and I hope you'll stick around for it. It is a truly enjoyable little story by one uh, Frank L. Baum. Perhaps you've heard that name before. Mr. Frank L. Baum was a writer of a little book called The Wizard of Oz, and uh, 14 of the, I don't know, what is it, 150 or 9,000 different Oz books that there were? Something like that, I think. Frank Baum wrote these delightful uh, short stories called American Fairy Tales. Uh, Mr. Baum felt that America didn't have its own tradition of fairy tales, and he set out to write this wrong. And by writing this wrong, he wrote a great book. And this is part of it. Uh, This is from the book of American Fairy Tales by Frank Baum. And the story is called The Queen of Quok. And I hope you enjoy it. A king once died, as kings are apt to do, being as liable to shortness of breath as other mortals. It was high time this king abandoned his earth life, for he had lived in a sadly extravagant manner and his subjects could spare him without the slightest inconvenience. His father had left him a full treasury, both money and jewels being in abundance, but the foolish king, just deceased, had squandered every penny in riotous living. He then taxed his subjects until most of them became paupers, and this money vanished in more riotous living. Next, he sold all of the grand old furniture in the palace, all the silver and gold plate and bric-a-brac, all the rich carpets and the furnishings, and even his own kingly wardrobe, reserving only a soiled and moth-eaten ermine robe to fold over his threadbare raiment, and he spent the money in further riotous living. Don't ask me to explain what riotous living is, I only know from hearsay, and that it is an excellent way to get rid of money, and so this spendthrift king found it. Now, he picked all the magnificent jewels from his kingly crown and from the round ball on the top of his scepter and sold them and spent the money. Rightest living, of course. But at last, he was at the end of his resources. He couldn't sell the crown itself because no one but the king had the right to wear it. Neither could he sell the royal palace because only the king had the right to live there. So finally, he found himself reduced to a bare palace containing only a big mahogany bedstead that he slept in, a small stool on which he sat to pull off his shoes and the moth-eaten ermine robe. In this strait, he was reduced to the necessity of borrowing an occasional dime from his chief counsellor, with which to buy a ham sandwich. And the chief counsellor hadn't many dimes. One who counselled his king so foolishly was likely to ruin his own prospects as well. So the king, having nothing more to live for, died suddenly, and left a ten-year-old son to inherit the dismantled kingdom, the moth-eaten robe, and the jewel-stripped crown. No one envied the child, who had scarcely been thought of until he became king himself. Then he was recognized as a personage of some importance, and the politicians and hangers-on, headed by the chief counsellor of the kingdom, held a meeting to determine what could be done for him. These folks had helped the old king to live riotously while his money lasted, and now they were poor and too proud to work. So they tried to think of a plan that would bring more money into the little king's treasury, where it would be handy for them to help themselves to. After the meeting was over, the chief counsellor came to the young king, who was playing pegged up in the courtyard, and said, Your Majesty, we have thought of a way to restore your kingdom to its former power and magnificence. All right. "'said his majesty carelessly. "'How will you do it?' "'By marrying you to a lady of great wealth,' replied the counsellor. "'Marrying me?' cried the king. "'Why, I'm only ten years old. "'I know. "'It is to be regretted, but your majesty will grow older, "'and the affairs of the kingdom demand that you marry a wife.' "'Well, can't I marry a mother instead?' "'asked the poor little king, who had lost his mother when he was a baby. "'Certainly not,' declared the counsellor. "'To marry a mother would be illegal. "'To marry a wife is right and proper.' "'Can't you marry her yourself?' inquired his majesty, aiming his peg top at the chief councillor's toe and laughing to see how he jumped to escape it. Uh, uh, let me explain, <clears throat> said the other. You haven't a penny in the world, but you have a kingdom. There are many rich women who will be glad to give their wealth in exchange for a queen's coronet, even if the king is but a child. So we have decided to advertise that the one who bids the highest shall become the queen of Kwok. If I must marry at all, said the king, after a moment's thought, I prefer to marry Nanya, the armorer's daughter. She is too poor, replied the councillor. But her teeth are pearls, her eyes are amethysts, and her hair is gold, declared the little king. True, your majesty, but consider that your wife's wealth must be used. How would Nanya look after you have pulled her teeth of pearls, plucked out her amethyst eyes, and shaved her golden head? The boy shuddered. Have your own way, he said despairingly. Only let the lady be as dainty as possible and a good play, fellow. We shall do our best, returned the chief counsellor, and went away to advertise throughout the neighbouring kingdoms for a wife for the boy king of Kwok. There were so many applicants for the privilege of marrying the little king that it was decided to put him up at auction in order that the largest sum of money could be brought into the kingdom. So on the day appointed, the ladies gathered at the palace from all the surrounding kingdoms, from Bilkin, Mulgravia, Junkum, and even as far away as, as the Republic of McVelt. The chief counsellor came to the palace early in the morning and had the king's face washed and his hair combed, and then he padded the inside of the crown with old newspapers to make it small enough to fit his majesty's head. It was a sorry-looking crown, having many big and little holes in it where the jewels had once been, and had been neglected and knocked around until it was quite battered and tarnished. Yet, as the councillor had said, it was the king's crown, and it was quite proper that he should wear it on the solemn occasion of his auction. Like all boys, be they kings or paupers, his majesty had torn and soiled his one nice suit of clothes, so that they were hardly presentable, and there was no money to buy new ones. Therefore the counsellor wound the old ermine robe around the king and sat him upon the stool in the middle of an otherwise empty audience chamber. And around him stood all the courtiers and politicians and hangers-on of the kingdom, consisting of such people as were too proud or lazy to work for a living. There was a great number of them, to be sure, and they made a very imposing appearance. Then the doors of the audience chamber were thrown open, and the wealthy ladies who aspired to be Queen of Quak came trooping in. The king looked them over with much anxiety, and decided they were each and all old enough to be his grandmother, and ugly enough to scare away all the crows from the royal cornfields, after which he lost interest in them. But the rich ladies never looked at the poor little king squatting upon his stool. They gathered at once around the chief counsellor, who acted as auctioneer. "'How much am I offered for the coronet of the Queen of Quok? asked the councillor in a loud voice. "'Where is the coronet?' inquired a fussy old lady who had just buried her ninth husband and was worth several millions. Uh, "'There isn't any coronet at present,' explained the chief councillor. "'But whoever bids highest will have the right to wear one, and she can then buy it.' "'Oh.' Said the fussy old lady. I see. And then she added, I'll bid $14. fourteen dollars. Fourteen thousand dollars! cried a sour looking woman who was thin and tall and had wrinkles all over her skin, uh, like a frosted apple, the king thought. The bidding now became fast and furious, and the poverty stricken courtiers brightened as the sum began to mount into the millions. Oh, looks like the king will bring us a pretty penny after all, said one to his comrade. Yes, and then we'll have plenty of money to help him spend. The king began to be anxious. All the women who looked at all kind-hearted or pleasant had stopped bidding for lack of money, and the slender old dame with the wrinkles seemed determined to get the coronet at any price, and with it the boy-husband. This ancient creature finally became so excited that her wig got crosswise on her head and her false teeth kept slipping out, which horrified the little king greatly. But she would not give up. At last, the chief counsellor ended the auction by crying out, "'Sold!' to Marianne Brodzinski de la Porcas for $3,900,624.16." And the sour-looking old woman paid the money in cash and on the spot. Which proves this is a fairy story. The king was so disturbed at the thought he must marry this hideous creature, he began to wail and weep, whereupon the woman boxed his ears soundly. But the counselor approved her for punishing her future husband in public by saying, You are not married yet. Wait until tomorrow after the wedding. When that takes place, then you can abuse him as much as you wish. But at present, we prefer to have people think that this is a love match. The poor king slept but little that night, so filled was he with the terror of his future wife. Nor could he get the idea out of his head that he preferred to marry the armorer's daughter who was about his own age. He tossed and tumbled about on his hard bed until the moonlight came in at the window and lay like a great white sheet upon the bare floor. Finally, in turning over for the hundredth time, his hand struck against a secret spring in the headboard of the huge mahogany bedstead, and at once, with a sharp click, a panel flew open. The noise caused the king to look up, and seeing the open panel, he stood upon tiptoe and, reaching within, drew out a folded paper. It had several leaves fastened together like a book, and upon the first page was written, When the king is in trouble, this leaf he must double, and set it on fire to obtain his desire. This was... Not very good poetry, but when the king had spelled it out in the moonlight, he was filled with joy. There's no doubt about my being in trouble, he exclaimed, so I'll burn it at once and see what happens. He tore off the leaf and put the rest of the book in its secret hiding place. Then, folding the paper double, he placed it on the top of his stool, lighted a match, and set fire to it. It made a horrid smudge for so small a paper, and the king sat on the edge of his bed and watched it eagerly. When the smoke cleared away, he was surprised to see, sitting upon a stool... A little round man, who, with folded arms and crossed legs, sat calmly facing the king and smoking a black briarwood pipe. "'Well, here I am,' he said. "'So I see,' replied the little king. "'But how did you get here?' "'Didn't you burn the paper?' demanded the round man, by way of answer. "'Yes, I did.' "'Then you are in trouble, and I have come to get you out of it. "'I am the slave of the royal bedstead.' "'Oh!' said the king. I didn't know there was one. Neither did your father. He would not have been so foolish as to sell everything he had for money. By the way, it's lucky for you he did not sell the bedstead. Now, what do you want? I'm not sure what I want, replied the king, but I know what I don't want, and that is the old woman who's going to marry me. That's easy enough, said the slave of the royal bedstead. All you need to do is return her the money she paid the chief counselor and declare the match off. Don't be afraid. You're the king and your word is law. You're right, said the majesty. But I am in great need of money. How am I going to live if the chief counselor returns to Marianne Brzezinski her millions? That's easy enough, answered the man, and putting his hand in his pocket, He drew out and tossed to the king an old-fashioned leather purse. "'Keep that with you, and with it you will always be rich, for you can always take out of the purse as many twenty-five-cent silver pieces as you wish, one at a time. No matter how often you take one out, another will instantly appear to take its place within the purse.' "'Oh, thank you,' said the king gratefully. "'You have rendered me a rare favor, for now I shall have money for all my needs, and I will not be obliged to marry anyone. Thank you a thousand times!' "'Don't mention it,' answered the other, puffing his pipe slowly and watching the smoke curl in the moonlight. "'Such things are easy to me. Is that all you want?' "'All I can think of just now,' returned the king. "'Then please close the secret panel in the bedstead,' said the man. "'The other leaves of the book may be of use to you sometime.' The boy stood upon the bed as before, and, reaching up, closed the openings that no one else could discover it, and then he turned to face his visitor, but the slave of the royal bedstead had disappeared. "'I guess I expected that,' said his majesty. "'Yet, I'm sorry he did not wait to say goodbye.' With a lightened heart and a sense of great relief, the boy king placed the leather purse underneath his pillow and, climbing into bed, slept soundly until morning." When the sun rose, his majesty rose also, refreshed and comforted, and the first thing he did was to send for the chief counselor. That mighty personage arrived in looking glum and unhappy, but the boy was too full of his own good fortune to notice it. Said he, I have decided not to marry anyone, for I have just come into a fortune of my own. Therefore I command you to return to that old woman the money she has paid you for the right to wear the coronet of the Queen of Kwok, and make public declaration that the wedding will not take place. Hearing this, the counselor began to tremble, for he saw the young king had decided to reign in earnest. And he looked so guilty that his majesty inquired, "'Well, what is the matter now?' "'Sire,' replied the wretch in a shaking voice, "'I cannot return the woman her money, for I have lost it.' "'Lost it?' cried the king, in mingled astonishment and anger. "'It's so, your majesty. On my way home from the auction last night, I stopped at the drugstore to get some potash lozenges for my throat, which was dry and hoarse with so much loud talking. And your majesty will admit that it was through my efforts that the woman was induced to pay such a great price. Well, going into the drugstore, I carelessly left the package of money lying on the seat of my carriage, and when I came out again, it was gone. Nor was the thief anywhere to be seen.' Did you call the police? asked the king. Yes, I I called, but they were all on the next block, and although they promised to search for the robber, I have little hope they will ever find him. The king sighed. Well, what shall we do now? he asked. I fear that you must marry Mary Ann Broginski, answered the chief counselor. Unless, indeed, you order the executioner to cut her head off. No, that would be wrong, declared the king. "'This woman must not be harmed, and it is just that we return her money, "'for I will not marry her under any circumstances.' Mm, "'Is that private fortune you mentioned large enough to repay her?' asked the counsellor. "'Well, yes,' said the king thoughtfully. "'But it will take some time to do it, and that shall be your task. "'Call the woman here.' The counsellor went in search of Marianne, who, when she heard she was not to become queen, but would receive her money back, flew into a violent passion and boxed the chief councillor's ears so viciously that they stung for nearly an hour.' But she followed him into the king's audience chamber, where she demanded her money in a loud voice, claiming as well the interest due upon it overnight. The councillor has lost your money, said the boy king, but he shall pay you every penny out of my own private purse. I fear, however, you will be obliged to take it in small change. That does not matter, as I don't care how small the change is as long as I get every penny that belongs to me and the interest. Now where is it? Here, answered the king handing the counselor the leathern purse it is all in silver quarters and they must be taken from the purse one at a time but there'll be plenty to pay your demands and to spare there being no chairs the counselor sat down upon the floor in one corner and began counting out silver twenty-five cent pieces from the purse one by one and the old woman sat upon the floor opposite him and took each piece of money from his hand It's a very large sum, $3,900,624.16, and remember it takes four times as many 25-cent pieces as it would dollars to make up the amount. The king left them sitting there and went to school, and often thereafter came to the counselor and interrupted him long enough to get from the purse what money he needed to reign in a proper and dignified manner. This somewhat delayed the counting, but as it was a long job anyway, that didn't matter very much. The king grew to manhood and married the pretty daughter of the armorer, and they now have two lovely children of their own. Once in a while, they go into the big audience chamber of the palace and let the little ones watch the aged, hoary-headed counselor count out silver 25-cent pieces to a withered old woman who watches his every movement to see that he does not cheat her. It is a big sum, $3,900,624.16 in 25-cent pieces. But this is how the counselor was punished for being so careless with the woman's money. And this is how Mary Edbrajinsky de la Porcas was also punished for wishing to marry a 10-year-old king in order that she might wear the coronet of the Queen of Quack the end that was the Queen of Quok by Frank L. Baum from the book American Fairy Tales happy Thanksgiving everybody well that brings me to another uh, technical difficulties ending and that one for Thanksgiving it's, I keep pointing out over and over again redundancy is something we like to emphasize here on technical difficulties but as long as I'm just being you know annoyingly redundant i'll just uh emphasize that yes it's thanksgiving it's also my 10th wedding anniversary so congratulations to me and susan and while i'm on the subject well i don't know if today was the 10th anniversary but sometime this week we always forget these things romantic aren't we uh they we have domain names yes i've got two pieces of interesting news one there is domain names the um techdiff.com, tech of course. Now, Susan, has her show is listed under uncomfortable-questions.com and please go there. Her show is uh, is great. I love her show, the interview format, and we're going to expand that out to some crazy new ideas, too. And she wants to try and stretch her wings and do some cool stuff, so give her a listen. And you'll also want to check out channelsurfingwipeout.com for our comedy video podcast and coming up in the next episode it's going to be mostly if not all brand new material and i'm really stretching the old video wings again i haven't uh, think so. since i took up podcasting earlier this year i've um i wouldn't say i've totally avoided video but i haven't certainly haven't emphasized it now i have to jump back on so good heavens good lord my life has become busy 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 as i just just wrangling podcasts it's uh Hey, it's cool. I enjoy it. And people have expressed interest in that promo I played last week, the one they had with the little goof on Adam Curry, which, by the way, was not intended as a slight to Adam. I really do like Adam and his show. I I think he's doing an okay job, so there, you know. A lot of people like to bust on him. Whatever. I mean, you know, I guess that's the way it goes with any sort of medium. But I kind of like the Daily Source Code because he's... Well, he keeps me abreast of what's going on since he knows it. And whatever. I mean, I don't know. Um... I'm not even I'm not, I'm just you know I'm just avoiding all the political crap already. So there you have it. Uh and anyway, uh, one more cool thing. Uh if you go over I don't know if it's still up at the moment, but it was last time I checked. If you go to KARE11.com. K-A-R-E KARE11 is the local uh news station here. I can't remember if it's an NBC or a CBS affiliate. I'm not sure which it is. It might be NBC. I'm not sure. But in any event, it's the local news affiliate, and they did a story, and it's under extras on their sidebar. They did a story about podcasting, and I'm in it. I was on television, and you get to see mostly the back of my head, and you get to see me on screen for all of three seconds, or ten seconds, or five seconds, or something. Worth it? I don't know. I've already got a couple of emails from people who said they started listening to my show. One guy who, who uh, said that he started listening to my show again after not listening to it upon seeing this, so I guess it was worth it in the end. And... Um, that is that. No pod safe music this week. I will come back with that next week. I'm, I'm just going to wrap it up. Um, as much as I wanted to take a break, i got a lot of video editing to do. So David, Susan, and I are going to be cranking away on the new show, and you're going to see all kinds of cool video surprises. We're going to find some way to tie the three together. So, again, check out channelsurfingwipeout.com. Check out uncomfortable questions, uncomfortable-questions.com. And, of course, go over to techdiff.com, and you can send us email. You can send me email at techdiff at tcinternet.net. I'm going to try and set up a slightly easier-to-remember mail thing, or maybe a Gmail account. Everybody seems to have that Gmail thing going on. Maybe I should get one of those. I don't know. Um, and I'd like to thank everybody who sent me some nice letters this week. Thank you very much. And as I said, people have expressed interest in that promo I did, which is, which surprises the hell out of me because the darn thing was so long. It was four and a half minutes. That's not a promo. That's not a commercial. That's a sketch. But people want to play it. Hey, I'll be happy to. I'm sending off some copies, so those of you out there who are listening, you'll be getting some MP3s this week so you can play on your show. And uh, like that. And Joe Ted, thank you very much for offering to... Uh, sponsor my show interestingly enough i'll send him i gotta send talk to someone about who might be interested in sponsoring my show we'll see that might be cool i don't even know what to do about that i i, I always assumed somebody else would hash this out for me and then i just sign up for a service but who knows it's all fascinating and uh shantino lemon seems to want to interview me this could be cool Oh my goodness! Oh, all right. Well, anyway, now I'm starting to sound. Like, now this really is starting to sound like a traditional blathering podcast, and I didn't want that to happen. So I'm going to get the hell off now. So next week I'll be back with more music, and more fun, and more stuff. And uh, just wait till you get here. What's coming up for the Christmas short story? It's one I've written, and oh boy, it's going to scar your children. Anyway, uh, I'm done talking. Good night. Talk to you later. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Bye.